Almighty God, we thank you for the gift of freedom and unity in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you that in him we may know you. Lord, we thank you for all your gifts to us, and we, we thank you for those gifts that have been given this evening and through the week. Uh, we pray that you might use them for your work here in Nottingham and around the world, and that Jesus Christ might be glorified in our very lives. Be with us now as we come to your word by your spirit. Speak to our hearts, mold and shape us into Christ-likeness, and equip us for what you would have us do in the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, please do take a seat. Well, this evening we're starting a new uh, sermon series, uh, working through the book of Jonah together. And uh, I want to start with something a little bit unusual uh, for a Cornerstone sermon. Uh, don't worry. Um, I'd like you to turn in a second uh, to the person next to you. Um, if you don't know each other, uh, then say hello and, and introduce yourself. And then I'd like you, please, uh, to answer this question. What happens in the story of Jonah. Now, don't worry if you don't know. Uh, we'll be finding out together over the next four weeks, but I'm just interested in where people are as we begin this series. Uh, so off you go, just a minute or two. Okay, uh, just uh, one, more, one more question for you to think about. Uh, some, of you, some of you have realized you've got the answer in front of you if you've got a Bible, so uh, there you go. Um, one more question. Um, what is the story of Jonah about? A couple of minutes just to talk to the person next to you. What's the story of Jonah about? Okay, well, thank you. Uh, really nice buzz of conversation. Interestingly, perhaps slightly more buzz for the first question uh, than for the second. And that's interesting because my guess is that many of us here know the story of Jonah, or at least we know a part of it. 
Uh, Every child's Bible uh, includes some of the story. Here it is uh, in one of the Bibles that we've got at home. Uh, With the storm and, and the fish, it's just such an exciting tale for children, isn't it? It's perfect for acting out in Sunday school. If you've spent any time in or around church, then it's likely that you have at least heard of Jonah and the big fish. But that second question, what is Jonah about? Well, I think that's much harder to answer. What is actually happening in the story? Why has it been given to us to read in the Bible? What is God trying to say to us through it? I reckon uh, most often we think it's probably got something to do with obedience to God. Do what he says, or you'll end up in a fish. But is that, is that really all there is to it? Or is there something more going on? Well, over the next four weeks, that's what we're going to be exploring together. And we'll see this evening, uh, we'll start this evening, sorry, with a principle Uh, that actually is really helpful for us for any part of the Bible where we're not quite sure what's going on. And that principle is that the Bible really only has one hero. You see, the title of the book of Jonah is is a little bit misleading because this is a book that is not primarily about Jonah. No, rather, this is a book primarily about God. So often when we're struggling with part of the Bible, a great question for us to ask is this, what does this tell me about God? Because you see, he is the hero. He is the hero of the whole Bible, and he's the hero of the book of Jonah. Jonah is about God. It's about his ways in the world, about his rule over the world, and about his good and merciful character. Along the way, we will learn plenty about Jonah and and indeed about ourselves, but only in light of what we learn about our God. I hope you'll see as we work through this book that God's plans are far bigger, far more exciting than we ever thought they might be. Friends, the question as we look at the book of Jonah is not what is Jonah doing, but rather what is God doing? What is God doing, and how do we get on board with that? So let's get stuck into the first chapter. And as I read these words, just have that question rattling around in your head. What is God doing? Verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. What is God doing? Well, the first thing we need to notice is that God is involved. This is not just a story that happened in history. Sure, it is historical, and and Jonah, and Nineveh, and Tarshish, and Joppa, they all really existed at one point in the ancient world. But this is also a story that happened in theology, because God is involved. That's remarkable. God is at work in the world. 
The God of the Bible is not some distant, far-off creator who, who winds the whole thing up and then lets it go. No, he's active in his creation. He's concerned for what happens to it, and he's involved in the events that we see and experience. That's why the whole of the Bible can be thought of as, as theological history. History from a, a particular angle, because it's interested not just in what happened, but in what God's role was in it all. And so we read in verse 2 that God has plans for the Ninevites. He intends to intervene in their lives. He's not an audience member watching from the balcony. He's the director, ready to get involved and change the whole course of the play. Now, you and I wouldn't pick this up necessarily, but it's particularly astonishing that God has plans for the Ninevites. You see, Nineveh was, was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians, well, they were brutal. They were the sworn enemies of ancient Israel. They were known for their violence and savagery. They've been described as the Nazis of their day. What Jonah was being asked to do was, well, it was the equivalent of being told to stand up in the middle of one of the Nuremberg rallies to quieten the crowd and to tell Hitler that God wasn't happy with what he was doing. It was a big ask. And yet we need to see that it's also it's astonishing that, that God even bothers with the Ninevites. He could have just written them off as a lost cause. He could have just wiped them out. But no, he wants Jonah to go and to preach to them. He has seen their wickedness and he intends to do something about it. You see, God is at work in the world, even in the lives of the most unlikely people. Even in the midst of, of the darkest and most distressing situations. He's a God who is involved. And he's a God whose, whose plans won't be thwarted. I wonder, did you notice the lengths that he goes to in this chapter to ensure that his plans are carried out? Jonah, as we know, decides not to do as God asks. Instead, he runs away in exactly the opposite direction. Instead of heading east to Nineveh, he heads west to the coast and then gets on board a boat heading even further west to Tarshish, which was probably in Spain. But did you notice what God was doing in all of this? Verse 4, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. You see, this wasn't just a, a chance occurrence. This was the Lord acting as sovereign over all creation, acting to bring about his plans. It is the Lord who brings the storm. And right at the end of the chapter, verse 17, it is the Lord who provides the fish to swallow Jonah. And there's no question that he's been at work in all the events in between as well. You know, there's one moment of astonishing theological clarity in Jonah chapter 1. 
And it comes from a surprising place. Not from Jonah, the the Israelite prophet, who, who should have had some inkling as to what was going on, but rather from the pagan sailors, who try as they might, simply cannot avoid carrying out God's plan all along. After they fail to row back to shore, did you notice what they say? How they address God? Take a look with me at verse 14. Then the sailors cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. And then this is it. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. You, Lord, have done as you pleased. You see, the sailors got the message, even if it took Jonah a bit longer, even if we missed it the first time. This whole chapter, indeed this whole book, is about God getting his way. Not like some grumpy toddler who who screams and screams until he gets what he wants. No, no, more like a man in love who will stop at nothing to win the affections of the woman he loves. You know that phrase, he he would move heaven and earth for her. Well, in God's case, it is literally true. If necessary, he will move heaven and earth to ensure that his plans come to pass. And you know, that that picture of a loving pursuit is actually a really good one because the second thing that we see in this chapter is that God is at work in the world, not just in general large-scale terms, but in fact he is at work in this book in a very specific, very personal way. What we'll see as we go through this book is that God is very clearly at work in Jonah. Just think about it for a moment. It's clear from what we've read here that that God can do anything he wants in this world. He can stir up a storm so strong that the professional sailors can't do anything about it. He can ensure that a fish of of suitable size is in the right place at the right time. And, And without any pretense that this is a normal thing, the Bible tells us he can keep a man alive inside that fish for three days and three nights. So that's the kind of God that we're dealing with. And yet, and yet I, I think there's one massive, gaping, enormous question here. And it's got nothing to do with the fish. The question we've got to ask is, why Jonah? Why? Of all the people in the world... Why did God use Jonah? In fact, not just use Jonah, but go out of his way to very deliberately, very determinedly stick with Jonah. When it would surely have been far easier just to pick someone else. Maybe someone who'd actually do what they were told. To me, that's the the big question of the story of Jonah. Why did God persist in using Jonah to do this job? 
And I think we've got to come to the conclusion that it's because God is doing something in Jonah. He's not just at work in the world. He's not just at work in the residence of Nineveh. He is at work in the life of this individual man, this person, this clearly fallen and sinful person who sometimes finds it very difficult to do what God wants him to do. This person who who evidently takes a lot of persuading before he'll cotton on to what God has in store for him. God is at work, in fact, in a person very much like you or like me. Isn't that astonishing? Our God is so involved in his world. He's so active that he's actually interested in the likes of you and me. On a personal, individual level. He's not only at work in the world, he's at work in Jonah. He's at work in me. He's at work in you. And over the next few weeks as we go through the rest of this book, as we, as we hit the parts that are less familiar than the whole fish bit, well, well, then keep asking that question. What is God doing? What is God doing in his world? Yes, but, but also what is God doing in Jonah? Because I think it becomes very clear that, that a big part of why this book is here in the Bible, a big part of why these events even took place, is that God is wanting to show Jonah something about his character. He's wanting to show us something about what he's like. And you know, I very nearly said teach there. God is is wanting to teach Jonah something. But actually the whole point is that God wants Jonah to experience his saving love and mercy. Not just to know about it intellectually, Jonah was a prophet, a man of learning who knew the scriptures. He may well have have known all the things that we find out about God here. But he hadn't lived them. Did you notice that that Jonah knows who God is? Look at verse 9. Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. But it's the sailors, once they've experienced God, who respond to him properly. Verse 13. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. For all Jonah's head knowledge, it would take some pretty dramatic acts on God's part to soften his disobedient heart. Jonah needs to to experience the God of Israel. He needs to know what it is to live as a man of God. 
And God, in his grace, is prepared to persevere with Jonah to bring that about. He is prepared to work through circumstance, through other people, through difficulties and disobedience. God is at work in Jonah. And so finally, we need to see that that God's work in this world and in the lives of individuals doesn't end in the pages of Scripture. He continues to work in this world, and he continues to work in people. God is at work in us. The circumstances of your life, where you were born, your parents, your upbringing, your early church experience or lack of it, your friends, the influences you've had up until now. If you're a student, the university you've come to, whether it was the one you wanted to or not, or the jobs you've worked in or or work in now, for all of us, the, the friends we've made in Nottingham, the fact that you come along to Cornerstone, the fact that you're here tonight to look at the book of Jonah, none of that is outside of God's sovereign control. He is the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. He is the one who will move heaven and earth to see his plans come to pass. What are those plans? Well, well, that's what we'll explore more in the weeks to come. But for now, let's see that that God's plan involves people. It involves us. He wants to do something in the lives of people. He wants to do something in our lives. That's arguably what the whole Bible is about. God at work in his creation and specifically at work in us, his creatures. If you're a Christian here, then then please don't miss this. God has moved heaven and earth. For you. Yes, in, in the big things, he, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to make a way for you to know God. But in the small things as well, all the people who've pointed you to Christ, all those occasions when you just happen to have been in the right place at the right time to hear the good news of Jesus, all those circumstances in your life, pleasant and, and unpleasant, that have caused you to see the truth of the gospel, to see your need for Jesus Christ, to see his love for you. All of that is God at work in your life. You know, all of us at times find ourselves asking, what am I doing? Maybe what am I doing with my life? Am I on the right degree course, in the right job? Should I be going out with that person or not going out with that person? Should we get married? What am I going to do next? Where will I live? All of those are valid questions to ask, but friends, a better question would be, what is God doing? The book of Jonah shows us that God is is active and, and sovereign in everything that goes on in the pleasant and the unpleasant, in comfort and in hardship. 
What does God want us to learn about him and and his character through the experiences we have in life? What truth that we already know does he want us to live? As we navigate the ups and downs of life, the, the joys and the disappointments, the predictable and the unexpected, let me encourage you to keep asking this question. What is God doing? Take some time this evening to to consider that question. What is God doing in your life right now? And let me say, if you're not yet a Christian, then then still ask that question. Because, you know, maybe, just, just maybe, God had a hand in you being here tonight. Maybe he's brought you here to show you something of what he's like to reveal something of himself to you as you look at his word and as you meet with his people. Maybe God is at work in your life to draw you to himself, to make you his own. For those of us who are Christians, will we begin to see all the wonderful ways that God is at work in his world? All the wonderful ways that he is at work in us as individuals. And will we thank him for that? Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that though you are just that, almighty God, you are not distant. Instead, you are a God who is active and sovereign in every part of our lives. And so, Lord, we pray that we might begin to see that. That in the circumstances of our lives, pleasant and unpleasant, in those things we find comfortable and those things we find hard, Lord, would you open our eyes to what you are doing. Help us to see what you would have us learn about you and about your ways in this world. And Lord, we thank you that you love us so much that you would move heaven and earth for us, that you would give us your son, Jesus Christ, and that you would work things together that we might come to know him, that we might reach out, and that we might come to enjoy him. And so, Lord, we pray for those of us who are already doing that, that we would increasingly enjoy knowing Christ, and that for those here who don't yet know him, that they would see your hand on their lives, drawing them to you, calling them, to faith in your Son, Jesus. Pray these things in his name, for his glory. Amen.